Shri Govardhan Ki Jai, Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai, Mathura Dhamma Ki Jai, Navajit Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai, Gangamay Jamuna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakta Vrindu Ki Jai, Gaur Premanani all glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glorious to Sri Prabhupada. It's December 5th, 2008 in San Diego on spiritual and material desires. Gauravani Pachani Nivasesasinari Paskachari Sitani Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Talapadakamo Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Ravanakam Vitam Stamasajivam Sadvatam Sadvaditam Varijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sagana Radham Shri Vashakam Vitamscha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Itchishesha Samanaya Puranopanishad Prasaha Samudrita Purva Jatair Vyama Yanair Mahatma Bihi Itchishesha Samanaya Shadrasaha Samudrita Purvajatayar Yomayanar Mahatma Bhi Ya, 
So in the third chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells Arjuna, if you want to be happy in this world, and if you want liberation both, you should perform sacrifices. Does it, would everybody here like to be happy in this world? Anybody here want to be miserable in the material world? It's already miserable enough. Does anybody want to be miserable or you want to be happy? Want to be happy? And go back to Godhead both? Does that sound like a good deal? Okay. So that's what Krishna says. He says that there are sacrifices, and if you perform these sacrifices, you'll both enjoy the world and you'll attain liberation. And he says, particularly the sacrifices should be offered to Vishnu. Yajnartat kamanamanaja, loko yam kamabandana, taratam karmakartana, muktasamnasi. So he's going through all the ways, all the reasons, giving some examples of sacrifice, right? like offering food. And Arjuna's getting excited about this, saying, yeah, I want to be happy in the world and go back to Godhead, but there's something that seems to force me to do things I don't want to do. Has that ever happened? Can we say that every day, all day, we only do what we want to do? Anybody? Anybody here say they always live up to their own ideals? No. No. It's a problem, isn't it? We set our ideals, I'm going to be this kind of person, I'm going to act like this, I'm going to do this with my time, and then we do all right. Sometimes, or most of the time, depending on who we are. And then there's sometimes when we just mess up. And we say, why did I spend the last five minutes or hour or five months, or five years, or whatever it may be, doing something that wasn't going to bring me happiness now, or in the future. Something that I don't even want to do. And Krishna's answer to that, you know, when I first read that, I was at college. I had found the Bhagavad Gita in the room of a friend's friend, lying on the floor, and I said, oh, that's all right, Krishna, go away. I took it back to my room, and I'm reading, and I'm just like, I didn't sleep, I didn't eat, I was just reading, reading. And that question was at the bottom of the page where Arjuna says, what is it that forces a person to act sinfully as if against their will? And I said, yes, I want to know the answer to that question. And I turned the page, and I was very disappointed by the answer. The answer is? Lust. And Krishna also says, later on, when he's talking about who's a demon, who's a devotee, he says, tri vidam narakashyedam. If you're smart, you give up lust, anger, and greed. I Krishna talks about so many demoniac qualities. I'm the big enjoyer. But he says, to summarize, you at least give up lust, anger, and greed. So how is it that Narumuni is described as having Kama? And what's really interesting here is it's described that as he dharara, as he meditates on these instructions, kamanam, bardhanam, vinarnam, that all people will have their lust burnt up by meditating on these instructions. So he's going to travel around meditating on the instructions. Charagam, he's going to travel over the world by charachara, immovable, immovable. So he's immovable. And yet, He's going to travel around based on his karma. What's going on here? His karma has different meanings. Here in this, it means as he likes. As he likes. Yeah. 
There's another place also, which one of my favorite verses and purports in the Bhagavatam. After Narada, after Narada Muni speaks to his disciple, Vyasadeva, he then leaves on the airways. And it said, Yadrichika. He travels at his own itcha. Itcha means desire. desire. Now, Krishna says that material, materially conditioned souls are itchadvesha. They have, this, they have attachment and aversion, desire and hatred. But again, the devotee is described as having itcha. He's traveling according to his will. And Prabhupada says in that purport, it's a, it's a wonderful purport about freedom. And he says, the freedom surrendered to the Lord does not mean that the devotee becomes dependent in every respect. So most people think of spiritual life enlightenment, especially Eastern spiritual life, as being one of getting rid of all desires. Becoming desireless. And I have a little bit of news that even after we join the Hare Krishna movement, we still sometimes can be contaminated with this kind of philosophy. I have heard devotees say things like, if you're really surrendered, you'll do a service you hate. Although, I don't know where that is anywhere in the Shastra. But, you know, the more miserable you are in Krishna consciousness, the more surrendered you are. <laughs> or, you know, I just want to do whatever I'm told. I don't, I, don't, I don't have any desires. And this philosophy is impersonalism. We're very, of course, in this world, we're very afraid of our desires and very afraid of our lusts. Therefore, we become afraid also of, of spiritual desires. And Prabhupada, in one purport, the Bhagavad Gita, talking about attachment, fear, and anger, says how we're afraid of being persons. We're afraid of having desires. I also really like where Prabhupada talks about the Brahma Samhita. And he says, The trees in the abode of Lord Krishna can supply anything desired by the devotees. The devotees residing in the abode of Krishna have not desire to fulfill. Still, there are variegated transcendental desires of the devotees to satisfy their eternal Lord in loving service. So Descartes was trying to figure out what was the essence of truth. What was the one a priori conclusion you could start with and say, all right, there's something that I can't, that I don't have to prove. And that was... I think, therefore, I am. You know, he got it a little wrong, though. Because there are many living entities that don't really think. Like little amoebas, you know, or the trees out there. They're not doing much thinking. But do they exist? Yeah, but that wasn't... That wasn't his was thought that he existed. He was, he was starting Talking from his own just point. Just his own point. But existence is not dependent on thinking. What is the one most essential factor of existence, of being alive? It's not thinking. Feeling. feeling. Feeling doesn't just mean sensation. Feeling means emotion. Feeling means desire. The main difference between a living being and a non-living being is desire, will. You can train a computer to so-called think, and it can do an awfully good job of it also, and to analyze things logically, but you can never train a computer to have desire. Just like if I take this and I throw it in the air and I tear it up, 
Now, if I did that to you, if I started throwing you around and tearing pieces of your earlobe off, you would say, stop. No, I don't want my earlobe torn off. But this thing doesn't, it can't say what? What can't it say? No. can't say, I want this or I don't want this. It can't manifest any desire. Prabhupada, in talking about the banyan tree of the material world, he says it's reflected in the water of desire. The most essential aspect of the living entity is desire. We are actually, in one sense, made of desire. Now, in this material world, desire is very scary, and emotions are very scary. Material emotions, if you're under the control of your material emotions completely, then you're a what? Demon. What else? Fool. Crazy person. You're, you're a madman, or you're an animal. That's an animal. An animal is just governed by their desires and their emotions. Their logical reasoning ability is very small. You know, some man fed me at this restaurant at 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, so if I come back here at 2 o'clock, I'll get some food again. That's like kind of their uh, reasoning ability. So in this world, we try to stop our emotions and desires in order to be civilized. We don't tend to display very strong emotions. And we think that the height of being a civilized person is to be totally on the rational platform without emotion and desires. You really keep them under control. Of course, the soul wants to express very strong emotions, and therefore in every society there are certain conditions under which we give people permission and even encouragement to express very strong emotions and desires. Like, where are people encouraged to express strong emotion and desires? At a, at, a, at, a mar- at a wedding, at a celebration? Wedding, funeral, where else? Political rallies. Huh? Political rallies. Political rallies. Oh, yeah, people are there. They're trying to exhibit ecstasy, aren't they? That's what they're trying to do. What else? Singing. Singing. Concerts. Some concerts. Not like Mozart concerts. Sporting events. So I was once stayed at a devotee's house and their grown-up son came in to visit. He was watching a soccer game by himself. And, and when I walked through the room, he'd be yelling at the television set. Oh, he's shaking his fist. And at one point I said, um, you know, I don't really think they can hear you. And, you know, he was so emotional and so much desire. And then at the end of the game, I said, how did it go? He said, we won! I'm like, you know, I don't think you were out on the field. <laughs> What's this we? But that's very encouraged. And also intoxication. Every society has its socially accepted intoxicants, every, every human society. And under the influence of those intoxicants, you are allowed to express stronger emotions and desires. Especially you find this in Northern Europe, the Scandinavian company, countries, Germany, like that, people are real stork, and they regularly drink to excess, and then they have permission to act. So this shows us that the soul is aching to express strong desire and emotion. We want this intensely, but our material condition is such that our material emotions and desires 
make us into savages, they make us into animals, they completely degrade us. They bring us a society of, of violence and cruelty and selfishness. So we're really stuck because if we want to have a pleasant society, we have to just act on this rational platform, which of course we're not able to do all of the time. And at the same time, the soul has this urge to express strong desires. So the impersonal idea is that you simply stop all these nonsense desires and emotions. Just stop them. Come to the platform of knowledge, existence, just being. But Krishna warns against this. He says, Klesha Dika Drastesham Adhika Sapachetasam says this is a very difficult path. Why? Because stopping desires is unnatural, and if you succeed, uh, then you're stuck, and you can't develop love for Krishna. That's like I told the story before about my nephew, who was uh, not a Hare Krishna devotee, but he was raised in a very religious way, and he went to his own kind of Ramachari ashram. He was living in the ashram with his guru, and he wasn't allowed to speak to any young women. And at one point, he went to his guru and said, okay, I think I want to get married. And his guru said, well, we'll try to find you a nice girl. He said, but for so many years, you haven't looked at any young women. He said, but if I introduce you to someone, I want you to look at her. So it's like that with the impersonalists, you know, no feelings, no nothing. As Prabhupada says, they're the non-perceptual feelings, cutting off everything. And then when Krishna comes, they can't look at him either. No, I don't want to, you know, too many flowers and incense and, you know, too much stimulation for the senses. So our path is quite different. We are not really trying just to go to the point of nothing and then to develop spiritual desires. What are spiritual desires anyway? What does it mean? What's the difference between material and spiritual desires? What are material desires? What can we define as the essential difference? Yes? It's explained in the uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita that desire is free from the own senses of lust, karma, desire for Krishna's senses of Whether Whether you're the center or Krishna's the center. Pretty simple. So everything is Krishna. We were just reading, that was in. Munich. We're reading about how Krishna appeared at the what would have been the hundredth horse sacrifice of Maharaj Prithu. And the Brahmanas there were saying, Everything is you, Lord, the fire, the butter, the priests, the priest's wives, the pots, everything is you. And Prabhupada was saying there in the purport, everything is Krishna. Of course, Krishna also says that when they're offering money. Although Vina is separated, still it's Krishna. And Prabhupada was saying in that purport, everything is Krishna. So really, everything here is Krishna. The, the seat we're on, the floor, the air we're breathing, the light of the bulbs, right? it's all the warmth from the sun. That's all Krishna. But lust means that I want to lord it over Krishna. I want to exploit. I want to use Krishna. Now, if I want to exploit somebody, if I want to use somebody, how I want, according to my desire, without any regard to how they feel at all. And I don't even want to pay anything for it. There's a name for that. If I want to grab some, if I want to steal some pleasure from somebody without payment, 
without reciprocation in the, in the way I want, and I want to do it by force, we call that something. And that's what we're trying to do to Krishna. And Krishna's not very interested. So therefore, Abhijanati he covers us. So we don't see Krishna anymore. We see matter. I see dead world. It's not a dead world. I see dead world. I don't see Krishna anymore. He says, okay, you want to have that mood towards me? Fine. I withdraw. You become covered. So material desire means a desire to use, to exploit, to take, to steal. To use how I want to use, in my way, I want to use something. That's material desire. And because it's so unnatural for us to be like that, it ruins us. If a person is very cruel to other people, they also become damaged. You see that? Someone is, is mistreats others, their own psyche becomes disturbed. So as we deal with Krishna like this, we also become disturbed. It's not a happy situation for it's just basically the situation of misery. And then, you know, when you're a criminal, you have to stay with other criminals. It's kind of a punishment. So we're in a world of other exploiters. And we're all trying to exploit each other. We're all trying to lawyer over each other. Of course, we make contracts. I'll work for you, and I'll work a certain number of hours, and you'll pay me. You know, and I'm thinking, I'm going to try to work a little bit less than what they pay me. And they're thinking, I'm going to try to pay them a little bit less than what they work. You know, in all of our human relationships, we try to make it not quite equal. <laughs> try to make us, I'm getting a little more. But everybody else is also trying to get a little more. And then, therefore, we're always feeling frustrated and angry and disappointed. And we get angry at the other people in our lives. We get angry at material nature. We get angry at God. We get angry at ourselves. That's material desire. Spiritual desire is... I want to please Krishna. I want to love Krishna. I want to find out what makes him happy. The beginning of that is first you pay. That's the idea of jagya. Okay, you're stealing, so start by paying. That's karma kanda and karma yoga. At least you, you pay for your exploitation. A little bit of it. And then you go beyond that. Instead of just doing jagya as a payment for doing what I want, then it becomes, I wonder what Krishna wants. I wonder how he feels that he's a person with feelings. He has feelings. He's a sentient being. He has desires. He says, this is what I like. He likes to wear yellow. Um, he likes to decorate himself with Govardhan minerals. He likes certain foods. He likes certain colors. He likes certain... He can play any instrument, but he likes to play flute. I'm sure he plays other instruments, too, when he wants to. But he has likes. He has a personality. And spiritual desire, spiritual lust, spiritual karma, is I want to make him happy. And you know what? Krishna wants to make us happy, too. Of course he does. And it's not that trying to make Krishna happy means I lose my identity. I mean, even in this world, if I want to make my children happy or my husband happy or my friend happy, I lose my identity. 
merging together. And husbands and wives don't merge into each other. Right? The kind of yoga we're looking for, it's like that. It's like that of the husband and wife, or the mother and child. So the child is in the mother's body, but the child has a separate identity. The child's nourished by the mother's body before and after birth. So there's a kind of yoga, but they have two separate identities. In fact, to be with someone who's exactly like yourself would be a little disturbing. Even Krishna and Balaram disagree about what is right? Balaram was upset that Arjuna kidnapped Subhadra. And Arjuna was upset with Krishna for cutting off Rukmini's hair. And after Krishna kidnaps Rukmini, Balaram goes to Bismarck and pacifies him. It's okay, you actually wanted your daughter to marry Krishna. Just, you know, let it go. So we still have our individuality, which means we still have our likes and dislikes. Narada gets to go where he likes. Actually, this is described in the Brihad Bhagavatamrita also, that when Gopakumara was going, um, he was seeing Lord Shiva. He saw the residents of Vaikuntha traveling at their own will to all the different universes to take care of anyone who was even chanting or hearing with Nam Alas to bring them up to Godhead. They were going wherever they want. We like that in this world. You know, here I can't go wherever I want. I have to earn the money for a ticket and then I've got to, you know, go through all the security things and get my passport stamped. And they say, what are you doing here and how many days are you staying here and where's your address? They might not let me in. Do you have a visa? Do you have a normal ticket? But Narada and all the pure devotees, they can go wherever they want and they can do whatever they want. They can do whatever they want and they have wants. They have favorite foods. Krishna tells Mother Yasoda, can I have some more yogurt? And she goes in the kitchen. While he's in the kitchen, he takes all the stuff off his plate that he knows everybody likes and he puts their food in there. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also, when he's serving the devotees, he serves everybody exactly what they want. He knows what's everybody. That means people have favorite foods. They have favorite foods. They have favorite colors. They have their favorite clothes. I'm sure just thinking a devotee in one temple who's the head pujari was telling me how she had a dream once that Actually, that, that day, no one had put the deities to bed for their afternoon nap, and she went to sleep that night very upset that the deities hadn't been served properly. And that night, she had a dream where uh, Krishna came to her in the dream, and he was in the pujari room, and he's opening up the drawers and saying, now, this is my favorite toe ring, and I really like it when you put it on with this outfit over here, and this is really my best outfit, and I really like this wig, but the way you've been curling it the other day wasn't the right way. And going through everything he went through, she said he went through every single thing in the pujari room and saying, I really like this, and I don't really like this, and I really like this, and I like this foot this way, I like that that way. And then in her dream, someone starts to walk in, so he hurries up and jumps back on the altar, <laughs> assumes his pose, and just looks at her and smiles. So whether or not that's accurate. The point is, Krishna has his, he does have his likes and dislikes. He does have his favorite, you know, pieces of jewelry and his favorite and the devotees also. The devotees are also, they're individuals. And every, although we can analyze that there are five main steinbots, five main what we generally call rasas, you know, servitorship, friendship, parental, and they can be divided into so many categories. And I was just reading when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was resting in the garden of Gundicha, Swarup Damodar, 
was explaining all the different kinds of jealous anger that the left-wing gobies have. You know, it's like 10 different categories and subcategories. But each one of us is a little Krishna. Each one of us has a unique relationship with Krishna that nobody else has. We have our own particular service. We have our own particular relationship. You can say it's within a general category, but you know, if you have 10 children, you have a different relationship. Each of them. We have certain desires in service. We want to put flowers in Krishna's turban, or we want to polish his ankle bells, or you know, we want to prepare the sandesh. That's what we want to do. And we have freedom to do that. Bhaktivinoda Thakur in his um Bhaktiloka, where he's explaining the verses of uh, to the verses of Upadeshamrita when he's talking about Niyamagraha um, and Niyamagraha. He says that there's different levels of rules, there's different rules for different levels of persons. He says ultimately in the spiritual world for the pure souls there's only two rules. Love Krishna and don't envy. And if you do that then you can do whatever you want. So the, the impersonalist idea is you just stop material desires and you come to this point of equanimity, of being equiposed, of just being no emotion, just me. And then from there, maybe you can try. And our idea is different. Our idea is you take the material desires and emotions down and you bring the spiritual desires and emotions up at the same time. So eventually, the spiritual desires and emotions are predominating. And then another point here, which is related, is what's talked about in this purport. Brahma Dayada. That Narada inherits Brahman. Reminds us of Daivak in the famous verse by Lord Brahma, Tatyana Gantam. One gets this inheritance. Of course, for Lord Brahma, and Lord, I'm sorry, for Narada, Narada had already achieved full Krishna consciousness in his previous verse. So, yes, as a son of Lord Brahma, he was automatically, immediately at that platform, as, as it says here, uh, effortlessly. Now, it wasn't effortlessly in the previous life. But at this point, it is effortless. And getting this, our inheritance, we have this inheritance. It is, is actually ours. We are free beings. We are free beings who can get whatever we want to live in a world of desire trees, who have the freedom to go anywhere, who have full expression of our individuality and our desires and emotions. The emotions expressed by the residents of Vrindavan are pretty intense and amazing. And the expression of those emotions purifies them. The expression of those desires purifies them. That is the inheritance of all of us. That is our natural birthright, so to speak. We are heirs to that. And we are part of Krishna. He wants to share that freedom and that emotion and that individuality with us. And to reclaim that inheritance, we simply need not to ask not to ask for freedom from material suffering, but to recognize I deserve this material suffering, and therefore I'm willing to suffer forever, but I want to be engaged in your service. I want to be engaged in your service. I again want my connection with you. Uh, tomorrow with the Chaitanya Charitamrita, we're going to be looking more deeply at that, 
uh, that the key to all of our happiness and the key to all of our freedom from suffering is reestablishing that intimate relationship with Krishna. So we'll go there tomorrow. How to reclaim this inheritance of spiritual emotion and spiritual desire, which is above being equipoised. It's above the platform of knowledge. It's beyond it. Such persons are already equipoised to the material desires. Okay, do we have time for questions? One question. Yes, Prabhu. You said that you, I think, I think it's you, you said in the beginning that you disagreed with the proposition that those who are really surrendered do what they don't want to do. Yes. And I can understand your argument for that, but but isn't it true that, for instance, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna, Ar Ar Arjuna did not want to fight. And every time he surrendered, he fought, even though he didn't want to do it. Now, you mm. say by the time he surrendered, he wanted to do it. But the, the thing is, we're, we're a mass of desires. You know, just, you know, we have a spiritual desire, we have a material desire. Get up in the morning, I do not want to take a cold shower, especially in Brooklyn, as you know. Yes. Um, or in the 55th Street Temple, where we had no heat and no, no hot water. No hot water. And then certain people in Brooklyn like this. But you did it, you know. I mean, most cases, someone walked out the door, and you shouldn't have been walking around on the shower. But, uh, and if you did it, then you, you know, didn't answer. So there's, I, I think at, at, at a certain point, it is true that you know that when you when you when you this is when you do those things you don't want to do, you make advances, and it's a higher level of surrender than the idea of okay, let's tell him what you want to do. Isn't it true? I mean, maybe I'm wrong. That's what I, I don't mean. know. Should I challenge the Dravida? You could challenge. I mean, I mean that's. I, I can understand where that devotee was coming from when you said that. I, I, I think that, I, I'm glad you brought this up because I think it is complex. I mean, Krishna's point to Arjuna was actually you do want to fight. It is your nature. You're a fighter. You're a fighter by nature. Yes, you don't feel like fighting this particular battle under these particular circumstances, yeah, but actually you're a fighter. He was, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was conflicted about that particular battle, but Krishna didn't say to him, Arjuna, I want you to surrender your nature and I want you to do a work for which you're unsuited. And it's interesting that Krishna asked Arjuna to do many kinds of surrender, but he didn't ask him to surrender that. Even again in the 18th chapter, right at the end, Krishna says again, you've got to do your own nature. You're either going to do it for me or for Maya, and if you do it for me, you'll be happy. You do it for Maya, you'll be miserable. Just do it. So I don't see that by that doing a service that's opposed to our nature, except in an emergency on a short-term basis, is indicative of surrender, nor is it what Krishna is asking us. But I think you're talking not about doing something that's opposed to your nature, you're talking about tapasya. Yeah. That's so, what I thought that that's, I didn't think about the, the thing as okay. opposed to nature. Yeah, well, that's, what I hear is that people say, I should be doing a service where I feel miserable. I should be doing, if I, if I do something that's according to my nature, then that's my desire. And if I force myself to do something that's not according to my nature, then that's surrender. So my point is that Krishna doesn't ask for that kind of surrender. In fact, he specifically tells Arjuna not to do that. He says, don't surrender your nature. I mean, of course, I know there's a purport prophet says, if you're fully Krishna conscious, you can do anything and everything under the order of the guru. But even then we find that great devotees act according to their apparent nature, generally yeah, I, I think speaking. I think but I think you're talking about tapasya. Yeah, I'm talking about but, I, I, but you know, in, in the spiritual world, there's no tapasya. The point is, is that, that 
coming from here to there. We're talking about you have to do tapasya. You have to do tapasya. But I would suggest that tapasya does not include, except for limited periods of time in emergency situations, doing work that's opposed to your nature. I agree. Okay. So we do have to perform tapasya. And even if you're doing work that's according to your nature, there's going to be some tapasya involved. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure you very much like the work you do for the BBT, but I would, I'm sure that there are parts of it that you don't like, that are tapasya. I mean, I've been working on these children's books, and I really liked writing the stories, but I also ended up having to do a lot of the layout, and I had to do it under extreme time pressure so we could get it to the Chinese artists, and it meant just, at one point, my, my layout person got sick, and it meant three days of having only two hours of sleep and doing things like copy, paste, character styles, copy, paste, character styles, copy, paste, character styles, movie blocks, copy, paste, character styles, movie blocks, copy, for like, you know, 15, 16 hours a day. So that for me is really intense to press here. But it was part of the job. So whatever, whatever service you're, even materially, whatever you're doing, there's going to be some austerity. And austerity generally means, it's interesting that the word tapa can mean both miseries and austerity. Now, it says that Dhruva Maharaj counteracted material miseries by performance of tapasya. So actually, one will mitigate one's material miseries by performance of tapasya. Uh, but Krishna also says, he says, I maintain, I create, maintain, and destroy this world by penance only. So tapasya must be there. You can't live in the world without tapasya. If you don't voluntarily take tapasya, you'll get forced tapasya. At the worst, you'll get the reactions, the sinful reactions to your if you try to take just the pleasures without the, the jagya, you know, a guy wants to just have a girlfriend and use birth control and not get married, not take care of the children. He said, I'm just going to take all of the benefits without doing the jagya, without doing the requisite jagya. Then you suffer the sinful reactions. You know, instead of working to earn money, I want a lot of money. Instead of working, I just go and steal or cheat or whatever. I'm going to get the pleasure without the jagya. Okay, then you get the sinful reaction. So it's either voluntary jagya or forced jagya. That's true for everybody. So with our tapasya, we're saying, I have to do tapasya anyway. Let me do it for Krishna. You know, okay. Is that all right? What I've also experienced, not all the time, <laughs> but many times, that if you do tapasya with the right spirit for Krishna, it becomes very sweet. It becomes very, very sweet. It actually, it's not tapasya anymore. I mean, that, again, that's even true materially. If someone's working really hard for their wife and they're just thinking, oh, what a wonderful wife. I'll work hard and buy her a diamond bracelet and she'll be happy. Then his hard work turns into some kind, there's some kind of taste there. So if that's true, you know, for ordinary persons, then certainly that's true. But I, I really like your point, and I think next time I say that I will distinguish between working according to one's nature and tapasya. Prabhupada says if you don't perform any tapasya, just say you're going to attain spiritual life as cheating. That's not possible. But is it, are you satisfied? I'm very satisfied. Very good. Thank you. Just, just really brief. Well, if we think of a loving relationship in most two parties, then uh, you know each party's because of the loving attachment, ready to do anything for the other party, and and the other party, uh, you know, doesn't want to see the party number one to uh, uh, to suffer. 
and to act against our own nature is, is suffering. It just goes to show that Krishna is not a psychotic freak. You know. That's right. He's just like a you know, perfectly healthy, you know, supreme being. Yeah. He's a very well-adjusted person. He doesn't need any kind of psychiatric care. Yeah, the example I give to people is if... It'd, it'd, be, weird, it'd be weird that that God would enjoy seeing you in pain. I mean, it's, that'd be weird. Yeah. Well, I'd say to people, if you ran a business, would you want your employees to enjoy their work? And the answer is always, of course you would. Now, of course, you can say, well, why is Krishna then saying we have to perform Jagyantamasa? And that's also if you love somebody and they have a tumor, then you're happy when they get surgery. So that's also there. Even though the surgery is painful, you're very, very happy if someone you love who has a tumor gets surgery. So, uh, because we have voluntarily, very first, uh, perverted our prema into karma, therefore we need some tapasya to come back to our original position. And Krishna is very happy that we're willing to take that tapasya. And without that, there's also no love. I was talking about this yesterday in Krishna Raj. If I've hurt you, we're hurting Krishna, and very deliberately so. If I've hurt you, you're not going to accept me back without some tapasya. You're just not. If I just come to you and say, yeah, you know, just let's be friends again. After I try to steal your money, claim your house is mine, use you for my own purposes. And I'm just going to say, okay, let's, let's reestablish our relationship. Just say, uh, wait a minute. You know, before we do that, I think, I think we have some things we have to work out. And I, I've got to, the main tapasya is giving up the false ego. That's the main tapasya. And I've got to come and say, I'm a sinner. I'm a materialistic rascal. I was put false. I have happiness of seeing others suffer. And I have to mean it. Not in some depressed way, because she doesn't want me to be like some, you know, that's not that interesting. But he, he, wants, he wants me to understand on a deep level what I've done wrong. But that's part of love. That's part of love. It, it's mixed. It's, it's a very deep humility and looking at oneself and, looking and, and admitting one's inertis in the context of reestablishing our relationship. And that is something that Krishna wants. Otherwise, we will not get out of here. And that is painful for us. Quite painful, actually. Uh, but it becomes mixed with sweetness. As, as you go into it, it becomes very, very sweet. And I believe that it's that pain that, uh, as devotees progress in Krishna consciousness, then they start hitting that pain of seeing in the heart and saying, whoa, I'm not really as nice as I thought I was. But that's one of the big reasons that people deep um, cleansing of, of saying, you know, I really blew it. And, and I want to come home now. And I'm sorry. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to deal with my stuff. So that also. You know, but Krishna wants us to be happy in our work, of course. He doesn't want us to go around going, oh, I hate this job. All right? Yeah. And we'll go on tomorrow to have an intimate relationship with Krishna. Thank you very much. I hope you excuse me for any mistakes and difficulties. Oh, Grace, you should have